0: You're listening to The Influencer Podcast, episode number 15. In last week's episode, photographer Valerie Darling shined her light on us as we explored the world of photography, its impact on the influencer industry, and how to stand out among the saturation. This week's episode takes us behind the scenes of the mega successful brand, Bobble Bar, with its co-founder, Daniela Jakubowski. Daniela shares tips on brand growth, the best tools to use to target your ideal audience, the importance of engagement versus scale, and what an influence. Hi, influencers, and welcome to this week's episode. I am really looking forward to chatting with today's guest, a megastar boss in the jewelry industry that I was so honored to meet a few months ago. And I've also had the privilege of working alongside her and her team for a few years now, supporting outreach on the social media side through blogging and influence efforts. Daniela Jakubowski is the co-founder and CMO of my favorite jewelry retailer, Bobble Bar. Bobble Bar is the first fashion Jewelry brand to disrupt the industry and redefined how women shop for accessories. With co founder Amy Jane, Bobble Bar cornered a niche in the $22 billion jewelry industry as the first fashion jewelry brand offering unparalleled selection and style guidance at a guilt free price. Today, Bobble Bar amasses over 1,500 orders per day, 1 million monthly site visitors, and impressive brand retail and celebrity partnerships. Using her keen Eye for design and graphs on fashion's ever changing trends. Daniela spearheads all of Bubble Bar's creative, overseeing everything from product design and digital marketing to the brand's original content and social footprint. Daniela holds a BS from Wharton School, University of Pennsylvania, and a master's degree in business administration from Harvard Business School. What is truly unique about Daniela, Amy, and their creation of Bubble Bar is their impressive and unique approach to connecting and understanding the needs and wants of their customers. Daniela, thank you so much for joining us today. I cannot wait for our conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yes. So let's just dive in. I want to know how you go from, you know, on the floor at UBS, in this financial job, to Harvard Business School, to meeting Amy, founding Bobble Bar. How did this conception come about?
1: Sure. So what a lot of people actually don't realize is um, Amy and I met in um, investment banking. A lot of um, people think that we met at Harvard, but what was actually really nice is by the time that we got to business school, we had already traveled the world together. We had met in what some might say is a bit of a high-pressure work environment and gotten each other through that, um, and we're already best friends. You know, when we – by the time we started school – We had developed a little bit of a habit of shopping for shoes together. (sighs) So when we were in investment banking, um, Saksa Avenue was actually like two blocks from our office. And we would go in the afternoon, and we were at the time making, you know, really healthy salaries, but we really didn't like our job. So we kind of spent all our money on really expensive designer shoes. (laughs) And our summer between... First and second year of business school, we were at Saks. We were shopping for shoes. And we started talking about how, you know, we were really the target customer for the product because we, you know, were making good money. Neither of us had families at the time. We were both single, no kids. So we spent all our money on this, you know, stuff we didn't need. And we started talking about how we wouldn't hesitate to spend a few hundred dollars on a great pair of designer shoes, but would never go down to the first floor and spend, you know, 200 or $150. And a really awesome statement necklace or really cool earrings and we started thinking about you know why that was and and what drove that you know sort of customer decision and I think what we realized is that you know our shopper is you know loves to accessorize and loves using accessories to experiment with trends play with fashion change her outfit and change her wardrobe and because of that she tends to buy conspicuous products that she's changing with a lot of frequency. Um, And because she changes the product with a lot of frequency, she still has an appetite to spend that money. She just wants a lot more product in exchange. So instead of one necklace for $200, she wants three or four necklaces for $200. And as we looked at the marketplace, we saw that there were a lot of people who were doing really, really, really beautiful product at extremely high price points. And there were people doing sort of okay product, not good quality at all, at really, really junky price points. But nobody was kind of in that middle space. Um, Nobody was really doing great design, very on-trend, very fashion-forward product at great, great quality at an affordable price point. And we decided that that was really where we wanted to play.
0: So you really, both of you kind of found that creative niche and just kind of looking at at the industry and, and finding kind of that missing gap. Yeah. Yeah. That's so unique. Cause you would think that it would be like this background and like design or accessories, but it was really, you guys kind of thinking outside the box and really finding something that was unique, not necessarily better or, or different, which I think is kind of cool. How that. Yeah,
1: I think that's actually, it's funny. That's probably the thing we get a lot of questions about is, oh, how did you do it? You don't have a background in fashion. You don't have a background in design. You don't have a background in this or that. And we kind of said, well, we have a background in being the consumer. And Mm -hmm. I think that the reason our backgrounds actually really served us well is that they forced us or they allowed us, I should say, to really question everything. You know, I think when you grow up in an industry and you grow up learning how things are done, um, it can be a little bit harder to take a step back objectively and think about a better way to do something or a better way to sell something or bring something to market. And I think because um, we really were industry outsiders, it allowed us to look at things very objectively and question the way they're done and think about if there would be a, a better way to do them. So I think that really was a huge help for us.
0: Yeah, cuz it's not like you had this personal attachment to this industry or this kind of like emotional thing. You were you were essentially the customer and the consumer at that point, saying like, "Hey, exactly. this could be done. Yeah, this could be done a little bit more effectively." Um I love that. And um flowing kind of flowing into that, I would love to talk about growth a little bit as well. So, um you know, you start bubble bar, it starts to grow. What would you say if if you could name one thing, you know, that tipping point in the you know, in, in breaking kind of that global consciousness or that global awareness of bubble bar, how did bubble bar, would you say get its first big break?
1: Yeah, it's so funny because Amy and I, um, always joke about this and this is definitely something a lot of people wonder is, 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 you know, when do you know it's going to work? Um, when's that moment where you wake up and you go, oh my God, we have a real company. Um, you know, because in the early days it was really just me and Amy in Amy's apartment in Boston, like trying to piece it together. And you kind of, you have no idea if it's going to turn into anything. Um, you know, what's funny is I I always thought that it would hit us like a ton of bricks and there would kind of be that one moment where you go, oh my God, it's happening. We're real. Um, but I feel like it was, it's more like, you know, cooking a frog. Like, it's a slow, slow increase on the burn, and then one day you turn around and you're like, I'm sitting in a pot of boiling water. Cool. Um, And I feel like it was a slow progression of a lot of different pieces because when you're starting something and there are so few employees, I mean, you know, gosh, in the early days, it was me and Amy and, like, you know, three or four other people. So you're really expected to scale up and scale down. You know, you have to take a step back and do the big strategic thinking, but then you also have to be in the weeds executing. And I think because you are kind of going back and forth between the two so, so frequently, it can be a little bit tough to take a step back and objectively say, ooh, I think we're there. I think we've made it. I think a lot of people know about us. Um, so we were really lucky. We had a lot of really great things and fortunate things happen to us. Um, you know, in the early days. And I think a lot about, um, you know, a saying my dad has, which is I'd always rather be lucky than smart. Um, and I think we were really lucky that we started the company at a time where social media was really um, increasing in usage and was on everybody's radar and people were using it because it gave us an opportunity to start to build a brand and build a following, not because we had the most money and not because we had um, the most money to sink into ad campaigns and putting ourselves in front of you, but because we were able to connect with people on a really, in a really authentic way through a platform that allowed us to do so and allowed us to put ourselves out there and say, hey, we're starting this company. We're two women who are really passionate about the category and love accessories and fashion jewelry, but just feel like there isn't a really good solution out there to shop, and we want to make that. And what do you think? And what do you want to see? And what do you want to shop? And what do you want to talk about? And we're really lucky that there were a lot of people who listened and, and spoke back to us and had the conversation and liked what we were doing enough to share it with their friends. And, you know, it snowballed from there. So we're really grateful that we had the access to those tools so early in our life cycle um, and are really able to take advantage of them.
0: And I love that you talked about kind of, you know, luck can mean different things from for so many different people, but how you said it was really kind of the luck of the timing that really allowed mm-hmm. you guys to be seen, to stick out among the saturation and to truly connect with your ideal audience. Um Go to kajabi.com slash influencer and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Can you touch a little bit more on that of like, you know, kind of understanding what, what that luck would kind of, what that luck is, if you could explain it just a little bit more, or if it was kind of a culmination of a, diff, of, of a bunch of little things that then helped you convert in a big way?
1: Yeah, I think it was a culmination of a lot of little things that kind of helped us in a bigger way. So, you know, obviously, I think our launch timing was just happenstance based on when we graduated school, and I think that we were able to take advantage of that, which was really helpful. Um, I think early on, we were very fortunate that we got a lot of strong press pickup and a lot of strong support from the types of publications, whether print or digital that our, you know, our target customer was reading and was paying attention to. Um, We actually had some really interesting early um, celebrity sightings in our product, which was was really fun. Um, So Rihanna wore our earrings to the Grammys in 2013, which just blew us away, and we were never, ever, ever expecting. Um, One that a lot of people don't know about or talk about is um, Justin Bieber actually wore a bracelet of ours, in either 2012 or 2013. Ironically enough, at the time, it was gifted to him by Selena Gomez, who had been gifted the bracelet by our PR firm. And it was like a kind of beaded bracelet with like a crystal thing in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just kind of took off like you wouldn't believe. I mean, we had just, you know, millions of people wanting to buy this bracelet. And I think it was little small things like that that just started to put us into public consciousness a little bit and into the public sphere. Um, And certainly aren't the types of things that you, you know, plan for. I mean, we never said, Oh, great. Like we're going to get our stuff on Justin Bieber and, 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 this is going to explode, um, you know, but you get a couple of those little pieces and they really, really help. Um, so I think that was something kind of lucky that happened for us that was um, extremely fortunate. And, and we kind of built up a couple of other pieces from there. I think we were extremely lucky and extremely fortunate that very, very early on in our, in our life cycle as a company, we also got a ton of blogger support. Um, And I think we found that a lot of influencers gravitated towards our products for the same reason that Amy and I really wanted to make it as consumers. Um, And one of the things that we really benefited from is, you know, we didn't really know what was going to happen with influencer marketing or where it was going to go, as most people didn't. And we were able to really build up an extremely strong organic fan base, essentially. You know, we really didn't do pay for play. We weren't really reaching out and trying to put product on people in an inauthentic and inorganic way. And we've always said, listen, we're so happy to work with folks on a commission basis because, you know, obviously we want you to participate in the upside of working with us. Um, you know, but we, we always really kind of, I think, put a stake in the ground to say, we only want to work with people who are genuinely passionate about our product and genuinely passionate about our brand um, and are excited to wear it. Um, Because I think if if that piece is missing, I think the customer can really tell. And, you know, they are not excited to shop off of something that feels inauthentic. So I think we're just so lucky that we have such an extraordinary um, and passionate community of women who are really excited to to wear the product and talk about it.
0: Absolutely. And I do. I think that that from just what I've seen of, of being on that side of it has totally attributed to just the overall awareness and success of bubble bar and just, the fact that the quality is fantastic and you know who doesn't want to wear you know fabulous earrings that have you know some fringe at the bottom of them I mean it's just it 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 totally just makes sense in this space and you guys have totally knocked it out of the park um I would love to of course I would love to talk about um kind of internal workings to, to some degree a little bit I know that you said when you first started out it was kind of like you and Amy at her apartment in Boston how many employees do you have now today and how do you really lean on them for continued growth and reach and engagement?
1: yeah, so we are about one hundred and fifty people today, so we've we 've grown quite a bit. Um, you know I think we we lean on our on our um, amazing team for literally everything that keeps this place running. Um, I think as we 've grown, one of the things we really want to maintain um, is the innovation and the willingness to brainstorm and push the ball forward and be open to interesting new ideas even as you grow and scale. Because I think that's something, um, you know, that's really tough for companies. You know, when I think back to the early days when it was just, you know, 12 of us sitting in a big open room and just yelling ideas at each other, um, you know, that really obviously fosters um, innovation and forward thinking and people really feeling comfortable kind of putting their opinions out there. Um, And sort of saying, hey, why don't we do this? Or have we tried this? Or what about this? Now, as you scale, obviously when you're 150 people, you can't all sit in one room and just yell ideas at each other anymore. You need some structure and process to keep things moving and make sure that there's full transparency and communication across the organization. But you don't want to lose that sort of special magic of people really feeling no matter what role they are within the organization that they have a voice that they have the ability to innovate, that they have the ability to drive things forward. Because I think when you work at a company like ours that is a little bit, you know, on the smaller side and is kind of functionally a startup, you know, one of the most exciting things about being at a company like that is really seeing the fruits of your labor um, and really seeing the impact of an idea that you had or a campaign that you thought of or an editorial that you worked on, you know, kind of seeing it out in the world and seeing customers interact with it and saying, Oh my God, I loved that. You know, that's like, that's honestly, it's the most rewarding thing. Um, so for us, you know, we do want to make sure that we foster consistent innovation and dialogue and communication across our full team. Um, and sometimes that means, You know, forcing everybody to get, you know, get away from their desks and sit somewhere a little bit more, not conference roomy, but more relaxing and just have a big brainstorm, you know, strategy session where you're just trying to foster creative flow and foster dialogue and communication. Um, You know, one of the other things that we try to really encourage amongst our employees is to say, you know, obviously we have hierarchy for process purposes, But for brainstorm purposes, you know, we want everybody to really feel comfortable participating in that because truthfully, we have some of these people on our team um, who, even though they're not extremely senior, just by function of the fact that they don't have a tremendous amount of experience yet, have incredible ideas. You know, and these Mm -hmm. are folks who are the consumer and are out in the marketplace every single day. And our folks who are coming into the office and saying, oh, my God, did you see this? You know, I saw this amazing thing that this um, travel company is doing on Instagram, and I thought that could have such a cool application for us, even though we sell a very, very different, you know, thing. They're selling a service and we're selling a product, but – Can we come up with some cool way to adapt this to what we're doing? So I think it's so important that folks feel um, empowered to be able to push the ball forward and make change within the organization.
0: And that probably is another reason why you guys are so highly successful, especially when it comes to connecting with your customer, you know, and really being able to understand their wants and their needs and their desires and their, um, you know... uh, their challenges. So you can kind of be the solution provider for that with the product, which I think is totally, yeah, it's fantastic. Um, I want to talk Dang. about sugar fix for a moment. Um, it is your yeah. new partnership with target. Um, so of course, you know, I'm a Boba ball girl and I'm a target girl. So this is right up my yeah. alley. Um, how did this amazing endeavor come about and what can fans expect with this new partnership?
1: Yeah, so um, we – this came about um, about two years ago. We had sort of um, been connected to Target, and I think it was just a little bit of kismet and luck. We obviously are massive Target fans. I think they do just an extraordinary job. I think – I mean, who doesn't love getting lost into Target and picking up just a ton of stuff? Um, they had been, you know, internally chatting about potentially building out a new brand within their jewelry department And we had internally been talking about what are the different ways that we want to continue to expand the reach of the Bobble Bar family. So a lot of people know us for the Bobble Bar brand, which we predominantly sell through BobbleBar.com and at Nordstrom and Bloomingdale's. Um, But a lot of people don't know that there are significant other arms of our business. Um, We develop private label jewelry for other businesses who potentially need our help Um, You know, we really say that what we've built that's extremely different is our design and product development engine, which allows us to react to trends extremely quickly and bring them to market really fast, um, as well as designing what we think is, you know, best-in-class quality for the price point that we're delivering at. Now, we really believe that as a company that's built this incredibly strong tool We can apply that tool to a lot of other distribution channels, not just bobblebar.com and not just the bobblebar brand. That said, we do believe in order for the bobblebar brand to maintain its strength, it has to know what its sweet spot is. It has to know who it speaks to and how it delivers product to her. So we know who our demographic is. We know what our price point is. We know what our aesthetic is. We really do believe in the ability to reach a broader demographic um, and more women through increased distribution capabilities, and through new brands. So one of the big pieces of Bobble Bar is we've always um, felt very strongly that we're not delivering low-price-point jewelry. We are delivering great, great value for what you're paying. And I think that the customer today is smarter than ever before, and what she values isn't necessarily low-price. She values really, really, really strong value for the dollar that she's spending, and she understands what a dollar is worth today. And I think we really see that on our site across our assortment where um, if you go to our site, if you go to our personalized pieces section, you'll see that we actually offer her a really, really nice range of price points and a really, really nice range of different metals. So, for example, if you take our, you know, our classic metal monogram, we do a, um, you know, pretty straightforward, like a gold-plated, um, 16-karat gold-plated metal monogram for $140. Um, and then we'll also do, if she wants it, you know, a 14-karat solid gold monogram for, I think it's like 320 or something in that range. But it's really about options. You know, there are some women who say, well, you know, I like the monogram trend, but I don't know that I'm going to love it five years from now. So I'd rather spend $140 on the gold-plated version. And then there are some women who say, I love this piece. This is a forever piece. I'm going to want to wear this 5, 10, 15 years from now. I'm happy to invest the money in the solid gold version. That will never tarnish. That will always look beautiful, and I will enjoy this forever. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really about choice and selection. You know, sugar fix is an extension of that. So we know that there are some women who say, you know, I absolutely – love the tassel earring trend and I'm obsessed with the bobble bar version with all of the cabochon beading and all of that detailing. And to me, that earring, 100%, I'm so excited to spend $38 on it because to me, I see other versions of the same quality being sold across the internet for you know, $55, $70, $75, $100. And I'm super excited about this $38 version. And then there are some women who say, you know, for me that's really really expensive for a pair of earrings. I want the look, but I don't feel comfortable spending 38. I want a great pair of tassel earrings at 11.99. You know, and that's really where Sugar Fix is delivering. It's delivering the same great on-trend product. Um, but obviously we're being really really thoughtful about where we can adjust the design or adjust some of the elements of the pieces in order to be able to deliver her trend and still amazing quality, just at a different price point.
0: Yep. And it is, I mean, I, I have a few of those earrings from Sugarfish and it, it is fantastic quality. Um, I've had them one pair for over a year and they're still just as fabulous today as they were a year ago when I got them. And, That's you know, awesome. yes. And I, I think that, you know, whether it's the collabor- whether it's the Sugarfish and the collaboration with Target and really what you guys do With Bubble Bar, it's, it's again, one of those reasons why I think Bubble Bar is so successful, and it's because you know exactly who your customer is and exactly how to talk to them and really exactly where they are living and shopping and breathing, and I would love to know how how have you kind of, as a business um, and really just as an as an expert marketer and really understanding your core customer, how do you find is or, or kind of was when you started this the best way to narrow down that target audience? Because a lot of times I hear from influencers or, or entrepreneurs starting out that they they struggle with so many ideas that they're so afraid to lose opportunities and so they don't really know how to focus down. But I'm always kind of of the mindset that it's like if you're talking to everyone, Everybody, you're talking to nobody. So how were yeah. you guys really able to do this so efficiently and effectively? Um, and, and how do you still do that today?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, in the early days, it's, it's a little tougher. I think in the early days, you don't have a lot of data to go off of. So it's really about, um, I think, a mixture of um, gut feel, putting something out there that you really believe in and that you believe is appropriately targeted to that audience. And the audience that you kind of put a stake in the ground and say, you know, I'm going after this demographic, this type of person, so on and so forth. And then you have to be open to listening. You know, I think you have to really listen to your audience, really listen to the feedback you're getting. And then over time, you can do a much better job honing in on and discovering exactly who it is you're speaking to. I think that in the early days, you know, you're going to make an assumption about who your audience is. You're going to put the product out there and you're going to hope that they love it. And if you're listening clearly, you might discover that the product was a huge hit, but maybe your audience is slightly different than you thought it would be. You know, maybe it's a slightly different age demographic. Maybe it's a slightly different, you know, maybe she's a little bit more metro than versus suburban or vice versa. Um, So I think it's really about listening to your audience and then, you know, finding what are the small tweaks to sort of better address what her needs are. As you grow and as you get bigger, There are so many tools that you can use, and especially nowadays, the tools are endless to really figure out who she is. You know, one of the things that we really look at very regularly is we take the email addresses um, from our list and if you put them into Facebook, there's if you use like their business tool, you can put in um, all of your email addresses on file, and they obviously won't tell you who each person is because of privacy issues, but they will give you demographic data. Um so it's really interesting is we we pipe that in um, you know kind of every quarter, just as a gut check to remind ourselves, who she is, and it's giving you this really, really interesting data and information that you can action off of that I think is even really a step above and beyond um You know, the typical demographic data, because a lot of people like to give you, oh, this is her age, this is her location, this is her, you know, household income, but that doesn't necessarily always tell you a lot, and a lot of times we layer in our assumptions about what that means about a person, but I think what Facebook can give you that's separate is it starts telling you about the brands that she's following and the brands that she's liking And that I think in terms of a marketing exercise is so useful because when we start to paint the picture of what our woman is, we usually aren't talking about age or household income or geography. We're usually talking about the brands that she's using in her, in her day to day life. And for us, it really paints a picture of a real life human being. What is she drinking? What is she eating? What movies is she watching? What's her favorite book? What songs is she listening to? What apparel brands is she shopping? What shoe brands is she shopping? and so, and you know what beauty I mean beauty is a huge comp for us when we start to paint our picture of of who our shopper is, and it really gives you an idea of what she's shopping and what she's liking in the market and how you kind of meet her needs. Um, but then I think the other piece that's really important that that is easy to overlook because you can't necessarily scale this data as easily, um, is doing customer surveys mm-hmm. and getting qualitative feedback. I think some of our biggest breakthroughs have been from qualitative feedback and just getting on the phone with folks and asking them what they think. Um, I think there's that, like, oh, I, I would hate to bother somebody, but... We found that our customers love talking to us. They love taking 15 to 20 minutes out of their day and saying, hey, you know, I really love it when you guys do X, Y, and Z, or I would love to see more of this on the site or more of that on the site. So I think there's a huge willingness from people to to kind of, Get into the weeds with you and chat with you. Um, you just need to ask, and I think that sometimes that qualitative information can drive so much.
0: And that's—I'm so glad that you mentioned that because one of the things that I've always loved about Baba Bar is 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 the 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 openness that they that they allow and that they bring about that you guys bring about with the customer experience. Um, you know, it is so easy to gain feedback. Um, it is so easy to share that information, and that's such a great reminder and takeaway for. A lot of influencers or businesses that are listening today. That sometimes all you do have to do is just ask. Um, you yeah. know, it's not like this this crazy thing. And I think that there is so much that can be learned about customer experience from the great tools and tips that you just shared. Um, surveys is is a great one. Um, so thank you for for sharing that. Um, I want to also sure. talk a little bit about challenges. If you could share with us, if there was, you know, whether it was a major challenge or just a challenge that you kind of remember that you guys had to overcome when you first started out and how you were able to overcome those. And then what, if any challenges do you foresee that you're going to, that you're going to be facing now in the new marketplace of 2017 and onward to 2018 and 2019? And what is kind of your, your goal, if you will, for really seeking those out and overcoming those?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, um, you know, when a company is growing and scaling quickly, I think adjusting to that new scale and that new state of the world um, can be really hard on a business and on its employees in a, in a couple of different ways. I mean, obviously, one of the ways is just, yeah, I can walk you through, like, some of the logistics. You know, we were outgrowing our office space at such an extraordinary pace, Um because the business was growing and we were hiring really quickly, and and obviously, you know, you you have to sign a lease for an office. You like functionally have to sign a lease It's going to last you a couple of years. Um, and as you outgrow that space, I mean, I remember being in a couple of office spaces where, you know, I was taking conference calls from the stairwell. Um, you know, and people were doing meetings and like literally every scrap of space that they could sort of carve out for themselves <laughs> and find. Um, but but obviously, more important, I think, as you scale and grow. You know, it's how do we, how do we consistently hire the right people for the business as opposed to finding bodies for seats because there's just so much to do that we're feeling overwhelmed. Um, you know, how do we scale and grow in a way where we introduce the right processes that keep us working efficiently, but don't diminish or discourage innovation and brainstorming? And I think that's something that as a company, you, you know, kind of always have to keep an eye on whether you're growing from 5 to 10 or you're growing from 50 to 100. Um, And then I think, you know, a big one as you're growing and scaling is something, Julie, that you sort of touched on, which is something I like to call shiny penny syndrome. You know, like when you're two people in a room, everything, every opportunity, every chance to do something, you want to do it all. And when you're small, you you know, the opportunities aren't that large and you kind of can um, as you grow and as more people, you know, know who you are and there's some brand recognition, you know, the opportunities start growing and they start getting bigger. And because you're still so ingrained in remembering the days of like when there was no opportunity to do anything, you you kind of want to do it all. And then you sort of recognize that you can't do it all because if you do, that means that execution of some of those things is going to suffer because nobody can sort of do it all. So you have to start figuring out. Um, how you prioritize those items and and how you lay out a proper roadmap for the company. And I think that there is a lot of maturing that companies, um, you know, do in that phase where you realize that you have to start getting better about sitting down as an executive team or the leadership team, aligning on what are the core goals of the company and really saying, okay, for this fiscal year, we really want to accomplish the three following things. And if opportunities come up that don't allow us to address any of these three goals, that means we don't do them. That means it's not a good use of our time or our resources. And let's really stay focused together on what are the things that ladder back to those goals.
0: Mm, that's great. That's a really good takeaway because I do feel like so many of us try to do everything. Um, is there anything that you, looking back, that you or Amy, if you if you can speak for her, would have done different differently when you first started out? that you could share?
1: Yeah. um, Let me think. What would we have done? I mean, there are a million and seven different things. Um, You know, I think in the beginning, I would have done a better job really documenting the things that were working and not working. I think that you know I always joke with Amy that starting a company is like building an IKEA chair you know the first (laughs) IKEA chair you literally put everything in the wrong way and you can't read the instructions because they're in Swedish and you have like no idea what's going on and then when you build the second chair you remember all the things that you messed up the first time and you can literally do it from memory right because when you screw something in backwards the whole act of like unscrewing it and redoing it, you know, there's muscle memory there. You, your brain muscle memory. You like, you remember it. You remember what you messed up. You remembered how you fix it and you don't ever mess it up again. Right. Um, but when you have muscle memory like that across, you know, like 75 different things, you kind of forget. And, um, I feel like in the beginning, when you're going a million miles a minute, It's easy to not pause and document just the small things, but those small things can add up quickly, and sometimes it just feels like death by a thousand cuts, you know, when, like, all the little mistakes add up. And I feel like now we've really gotten in a great groove of, like, every single thing that happens, we really document it for posterity. So that six months from now when we want to do a similar marketing program or a similar campaign, we'll go, oh, hey, remember when we did something that was kind of like that six months ago? Let's pull up our notes. Let's pull up our postmortem and, like, see what we wrote down in terms of what worked and what didn't work um, because we can just start from a totally separate place rather than having to relearn by making the same mistakes over and over and over again. So I always say to people, You know, no matter how overwhelmed you are, and I know you have a million things on your plate, but just make sure that you're documenting everything and really taking notes on everything because that's... Going to be the best guidebook you could ever have going forward. Mm,
0: that's a fantastic tip, and I I love the analogy of the IKEA chair because we've all been there and we never <laughs> want to be there again. So, <laughs> so
1: I mean, <laughs> I think I think I've I've messed up more IKEA furniture than I would care to ever admit to. Exactly. But it's a good learning experience. All of it.
0: It is. It really is. Um, <laughs> I want to I want to dive into partnerships. Um, Because as you know, let's talk the the collaborations. You know, Bobble Bar has worked with some just incredible, incredible influencers. Um, Olivia Palermo, Emma Roberts, Coca-Rosha, Alessandra, among others. Just so many fantastic ones. I would love to know. Um, obviously, you know that is one way that Babbel Bar intentionally engages with their target audience, or, or kind of through some of these influencers that we all can either aspire to be, or that inspire us, or that we we kind of relate relate to as your ideal customer. Um, and obviously, they're having you know these influencers, and then and then other bloggers do play a, a great role in the growth of Bobble Bar. And we talked about that a little bit earlier. But when it comes to aligning with an influencer, whether it's for you know, a partnership like with Olivia Palermo or just aligning with influencers just in the space of, you know, um, smaller collaborations or gifting or what have you, what do, what does Baba Bar look for? Is there a common trait? Is there a common mission, a look, um, a sense of self or identity? If you could kind of walk us through the process of that.
1: Sure. You know, I think for us, number one is just authenticity um, we don 't ever work with anybody who was not already wearing the product, loving the product, genuinely genuinely liking the product. Um, I think that where um, some folks get it a little bit wrong is we definitely get a ton of pitches from people kind of saying hi, I'd love to work with you, You here's my fee. And it just feels really inauthentic, and and that's not how we like to make connections with people. I think for us, um, it's about finding women who really genuinely love the brand and are excited to wear the brand. And then in cases where we're doing larger activations with people, it's really us saying, hey, you're someone who already loved the product, who already wore the product, Um, but now we would like to work with you in a slightly more controlled way. So whereas before you were just sort of picking the things that you liked and and wearing them as part of your regular organic outfit posts, hey, we'd love to have the opportunity to create content with you where we get to have a voice and we get to have a say, and then we get to own rights to those assets, you know, at the end of the day to sort of pulse out across all of our different channels and, and to our customers. So we would never want to go down the path of 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 exploring that unless we know that we're working with somebody um, who's already wearing the product. You know, otherwise, I think it just feels fake. It feels fake for our audience. It feels fake for their audience, and it just kind of doesn't work. Um, Outside of that, you know, I don't know that we necessarily have um, a specific aesthetic outside of women who have a really strong sense of self. Um, display a tremendous amount of confidence, um, and really, really love experimenting with style. I think those are really the basic tenets of the Bobble Bar brand, and those are things that we're passionate about and that we make sure that all of our editorial assets convey. So outside of that, I think we really look for women who embody that. We really look for women who embody a really diverse range of um, style aesthetics, because I think what's so exciting about accessories is that they let you really play with your style and your fashion. You know, you don't have to be someone who identifies as minimalist or feminine or, you know, modern edgy. You know, you're someone who really kind of wants to play across a range of those things. So we really look for women who have extremely diverse styles um, and are really forward-thinking in terms of how they put put items together and put style together and how they accessorize. You know, we really – and then I would say finally the last thing is we really love women who have um, a great sense of humor around fashion and style. You know, I think what we're really fortunate with is that our product is inherently really fun. Um, It tends to be colorful. It tends to be attention-grabbing. It tends to be conspicuous. Um, it tends to have a little bit of a sense of humor, you know, so we don't like women who, who I think take fashion so seriously that it loses the fun. Um, it's got, you know, there's a reason women love it is it feels like dress up and it should feel like a good time. So we definitely gravitate towards women who, look like they're having a lot of fun when they're accessorizing and styling themselves. Um, and I think that that joy um, really comes across in, in all of their content.
0: I would agree. And I always think, I mean, to me, like when, I, when I'm when i wearing a bubble bar piece, I just want to put on, you know, my cute like little slip-ons and my fun button-up and grab a glass of rosé with my girlfriends and like, go to Malibu and just like have a good time and just loosen up and feel alive. That's what I think that, you know, it's just, it's, it's not meant to be stuffy. It's not meant Mm. to be forced. It's meant to be refreshed and renewed and fun and youthful. And that's what I love about what the look of Bobble bar embodies and how it really makes Me feel and you know the the other women out there that wear it every day. Um and I love that you talked about authenticity because that is something that is so consistent on this podcast. No matter you know what industry elite that I'm talking to or what influencer that I'm talking to, it really does go back to truly being authentic to who you are and showing up in that way and not always being this, you know, forced pitch of, hey, I like your stuff, here's my rate. It's like, well, why don't you ask them like what are your challenges this quarter? What are some products that you are really wanting to, you know, share that I can share with my audience? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Totally. You know, let's, let's yeah. work together instead of it just being like, here, I have a ton of followers. Here's my rate. Pay me to, you know, it's, it, ta- it definitely takes out the, the youthfulness and the fun and, you know, that, that look of, of that I was just explaining, it takes it completely out of there. So I love that you, that you've touched on the authenticity as well. Um. So before we wrap up, I have a couple of questions on just advice that I want to um, ask you that you can share with with our listeners today. Would you say um, that mentors and business coaches are important when building a brand? And if so, how important are they?
1: Yeah, I think that um, surrounding yourself with a strong network of folks who can be helpful to you in a variety of ways is extremely important. You know, that said, what I really recommend is making sure that you're surrounding yourselves with folks that you select um, and that you have a natural rapport with um, and that don't feel forced. You know, if you find that there's someone that you think is going to be an amazing mentor because they have all this experience in this area that you want to break into, but it feels like you're kind of forcing a relationship, you're not going to get a lot out of it. You'd probably be better off finding somebody who – have startup experience or entrepreneurship experience maybe in a slightly different area, but you immediately feel a connection with and you gel with, and it's going to be that person that you can pick up the phone and ask all these questions to, um, that's the stuff that's going to get you through. You know, I, I think that um, there are so many different areas where you're going to look for counsel and advice, and a lot of them are not necessarily category or industry specific. I think a lot of the areas where people tend to get um, tripped up or really just feel... Um, just feel like they're in need of help is more, I would say, around the business of starting a company. Um, you know, being a founder, being a founder can feel like a really lonely place. Um, so really having other people out there, even if they're in totally disparate industries, who can sort of say, oh, yeah, I know what that feels like. I went through that. Here's how I dealt with that issue. Um, And I think that those are um, some of the most comforting and helpful relationships that, that you can build. And I don't know that those questions ever go away. I think that you will always have those questions as you build the company, whether it's around. Hiring, or team building, or org structure, or human resources. Um, you know, these are all really big questions and really big issues to tackle. Um, and having somebody to bounce those ideas off of is just—it's invaluable.
0: Mm, that is such great, great advice. Um, would would you would you touch on as well any advice that you have for entrepreneurs out there who? Who just may feel like, you know, I'm building this brand, I'm building this business, but the success isn't really happening as quickly as I would like. And I feel like giving up, you know, in that moment, do you have anything that you could say to that person?
1: You know, I think something that's really hard, um, when you're starting a business and, and I know Amy and I are very guilty of doing this, because I think a lot of founders are very guilty of doing this it's really hard to celebrate the wins. Mm. Um, I think that we're all really, really good at beating ourselves up for the losses, and we don't really spend time celebrating the wins. I think that it's really important to remember... um, the things that you do accomplish, the small victories, you know, the pieces that you that 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 you've been able to accomplish that you can look at as a reminder to say, "I did that." That's really exciting. Um, you know, what's hard about I think you know starting a company is it's just a roller coaster. Um, and over time, you will get better at emotionally managing that roller coaster. Um, but in the interim, I think it's good to keep things by your desk and keep things in your drawer that serve as a reminder of a recent victory or a recent win or something that made you feel really good. Um, Because sometimes when you're beating yourself up over something, you know, you want something nearby to remind yourself, okay, this is something great that I accomplished and I just have to, you know, I'm just going to push forward.
0: Mm, I love that. How do you celebrate wins now that you've learned that? Do you travel? Do you go back to Saks and buy those shoes? <laughs> oh,
1: wow. we, well, there are lots of different ways for celebrating wins. Um, we, so definitely, you know, for big wins, I have definitely treated myself to um, some more, you know, celebratory purchases, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I think you know time away, and it doesn 't necessarily have to be you know a full on vacation. I think mental breaks are the best way to sort of celebrate and to sort of give yourself a, a moment to step away. I think that when you when you 're starting out um, it 's really hard to put it down it 's really hard to turn it off. you know I joke with my loved ones, and they all know that. You know, my boyfriend makes fun of me constantly because there are those nights where I'll just wake up at four o'clock in the morning in like a panicked sweat because I had an idea and like I have to start typing it out. He's like, what are you doing? Go back to sleep. Um, you know, but I think that sometimes a really good way to celebrate a win is to decide that you're going to spend a weekend not checking your phone um, and you're going to fill that weekend with all of those things that you love to do. If it's a favorite restaurant or a favorite treat or go getting a massage you know, um, going to an exercise class, like what are those things that let you unplug and not think about work? Um, I think that those sometimes can be the best, the best treats.
0: Hmm. Thank you for that. I love that. It's, it's all such good reminders and just, it's so true. Um, Anything new or exciting coming up in the pipeline with Bobble Bar that you can share or talk about today?
1: Ooh, good question. We have so many new and exciting things. Um, so I will share this with you, um, which is we have, as you might have seen, we have started introducing very, 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 very teeny, tiny quantities of non-jewelry accessories on yes. the site. So some bags yes. and some hats. Yes. Um, yes. And that was a little bit of a test. Um, and you guys freaked out and loved it. Um, and you are going to see a whole lot more of that starting this fall. We've got, for fall and holiday, we have some amazing non-jewelry accessories. So you're going to start seeing a lot, lot more in that space. So keep an eye out. Um, heading into the cooler months, we are going to have some really
0: cool stuff on the site. Yay! I'm so excited. I've really, I've loved the bags and just the clutches and you know the little beach bags. Just the a lot of the straw net things that you guys have been been putting out. Yeah. If that's the right way to say it, but um, yeah, I'm so totally. excited for that. Then yay! Thank you. Um, Thanks well, so much. Yeah, of course. As I wrap up every interview that I do on this podcast, I ask a question to everyone and everyone has a different answer. So I can't wait to hear what yours is to this question. Um, the question is what does influence mean to you?
1: Ooh, I think to me, influence is all about connectivity. Um, it's about connecting with Somebody in a really, really authentic way. Um, you know, I think in order to be influenced by somebody or by something, it has to speak to you on a, on a very, very personal level. You have to look at it and think that really feels like something I would, you know, that belongs in my lifestyle, that belongs in my personal brand. So I think that folks who really have strong influence, are folks who don't, you know, they don't pander. They don't try to be nothing to everybody. They're really happy being something to a group of people that really respond to them. And I think that as we, you know, I know one of the big topics, you know, within influencer marketing is this concept of engagement, you know, versus scale. And I think you're going to start to see brands getting a lot smarter about going after influencers, who just see extraordinary engagement. I think there is there are a ton of influencers out there who don't necessarily have a million followers, um, but the followers that they have connect with them on such an extraordinary level, and it's because they consistently showcase authenticity um, and everything that they do is real, um, and their audience looks at that and thinks, that speaks to me. Um, I really respect what this person is doing, and I, I'm excited to see what they do next. So um, mm-hmm. that's something that, that gets me excited when we see somebody who I think has that connection with their audience and you know that we're always looking for.
0: Oh, and, I, and I'm so glad that you said that because so many times I'll have clients or students or listeners of this podcast ask me, you know, do I have to have a million followers to, you know, grow a relationship with a brand? And I'm like, absolutely not. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're this micro influencer that has 10,000 followers, but 9,000 of them are drinking, yes, are drinking your Kool-Aid every single time you make it and you send it out to them, you know, that, that return on investment and that, that return to build that relationship is going to be far more beneficial to the brand than someone who has a million followers and maybe 2,000 of them care, you know? Yeah, so I was going to say,
1: we've, yeah, we've seen that 100%. We've had, you know, amazing women wear our product who have millions of followers where it doesn't make a dent. And then we've had some girls who have, you know, 10,000, 15,000 followers post about a product and the way that they shoot it and the way that they showcase it and the engagement of their audience, we see the impact. Um, and, it, you know, I really think connection, authenticity, engagement. That's, that's the name
0: of the game. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I would love for you to share where everyone can find more information about Bobble Bar. Where can we start following you guys on social? Where can we shop? Obviously, because that's what we're going to be doing now that we've listened to this amazing conversation. I need yeah. 15 <laughs> new pairs of earrings. So where can I find all that good
1: stuff? You got it. So you're going to look for Bobble Bar at BobbleBar.com. That's B A U B L E B A R, like a bobble, fun piece of fashion jewelry. And you're going to look for Sugar Fix by Bobble Bar exclusively at your local Target and on Target.com.
0: Awesome. Well, I hope today's podcast really shed more light on the quality and integrity of Bubble Bar. They have always been such a great partner and support for influencers like myself and so many other people in this space and in this industry. I would love for you guys to check out the show notes of this episode where I lay out some of the most important takeaways that Daniello yeah. drove home for us today. Bubble Bar has also been incredibly awesome and gracious enough to host a giveaway on the site as well. So you can find the show notes and the giveaway information at www.theinfluencerpodcast.com, as well as my social handle at Joel Solomon. Daniela, thank you again. You are just such a trailblazer in this industry, and you're such a supporter for influencers in this space, and I appreciate everything that you're doing. And I'm so excited for this fall and the continued expansion and growth of the Bobble Bar brand.
1: It was such a pleasure to be on, and thank you so much. I appreciate it.